DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dr. Bunsen, thanks once again for joining me. Wonderful to be with you, Chris, especially to uh, conclude our conversation about St. Bonaventure. There's so much to talk about, though. Do you really think we can get it all in in just our, our short time together? I think so. Uh, let's give it a try. Real quick on the recap of what we do know about St. Bonaventure. Well, as we talked about last episode, uh, in Bonaventure we have what I would argue is the, the really great, one of the greatest theologians, not just in the, the history of the Franciscan order, but in the history of the church. He was, uh, I would argue again, uh, certainly the, uh, a figure who could go and stand proudly with a giant like Thomas Aquinas. He was also somebody, though, who had such a wonderful practicality about him, both in, in how he administered the affairs of the Franciscans as their master general, but also as a theologian. That's something that we're going to be talking more about. We need to talk a little bit, though, about Bonaventure's position in the church uh, especially toward the end of his life, uh, and then how that really shaped the life of the church and, and the life of the Franciscans for many, many years to come. He was a part of a very important council, was he not? He was. Uh, he, on the orders of uh, the Pope, participated in the, the Council of Lyon. Now, why is that notable? It's notable because the council itself helped to bring about uh, the brief, the fleeting reunification of the church. Uh, the, the eastern, the, the, the schism that had been present since at least 1054, uh, this was uh, one of the last ditch efforts uh, to reunify the church, especially in the face of the, the, the growing menace of uh, the Islamic states to the east, especially at a time when the, the last of the crusader states uh, were collapsing in the Holy Land and, in fact, died out uh, in, in 1291. Bonaventure, by that time, by, by 1274, had been offered by one pope the office of the Archbishop of York. He had essentially accepted it under obedience, but within a year, uh, from 1265 to 1266, was able to resign his post, that this was just not something that he felt called to do or felt something that uh, he really thought was the best use of his talents. And it's 
interesting to consider uh, that uh, Pope Clement IV, who appointed him to that position, wrote so glowingly of, <laughs> of Bonaventure as to why he uh, wanted him to take this post. But it also tells us uh, about his humility and but the, the fact that the, the Franciscan order at the time was still not in any condition for him to abandon it. And so he remained as head of the Franciscans and continued the important work of shaping it. But the popes were aware of him, that the popes understood uh, his significance in the life of the church. He was considerably influential, for example, in securing the election of Pope Gregory X, uh, who wasted little time in appointing him a cardinal. He named him the Archbishop of Albano and uh, consecrated him a bishop. Why is that significant? It's important because Albano was one of those important sees in the life of the Papal States, the life of the Holy See. And it positioned Bonaventure then to be a very significant papal advisor, papal counselor, and somebody who would be able to interact with the other members of the College of Cardinals at a time when the church was grappling with a lot of these major issues. We had the, uh, the end of the, the Crusader states, sort of the end of an era. We had the church wrestling with the issues of faith and reason, of uh, theology in the universities. You had the ongoing questions of uh, the relationship between church and state at a time when nation states were starting to make themselves felt. And then there was the ongoing separation, the, the, the brokenness of the church between East and West. Bonaventure was called in and asked to advise on every one of those areas. And as a cardinal appointed again by the Pope, he really stood uh, as a, a key figure uh, in a pretty important moment in the life of the church. How would his life come to a, an end? We didn't really touch on that. To consider his death, we have to look at probably his last great work, and, and that was uh, that ecumenical council, uh, the Council of Lyon. Bonaventure was appointed uh, the papal representative or the papal legate uh, to the council in 1273. He played a, a key part in putting together uh, the, the agenda of, and how the meetings were going to be held, who was going to be invited. And Bonaventure spoke out frequently, was consulted by the popes frequently. And then at the council itself, uh, Bonaventure preached before the, the council. Now, as, as you and I talked in, in our first episode, Bonaventure was a great homilist. He, he authored a guidebook uh, to preachers, how to preach well. And it is said that in his homily, his preaching to the council, he took up as his text uh, a brief passage from Baruch, Arise, O Jerusalem, and stand on high. And what he was speaking about was the great joy of the fact that the Eastern Church, 
the churches that were in schism were willing to come back to negotiate reunion. And he preached again uh, at the end of June, uh, at the time when the representatives of those of the, the Byzantine church, the, the, the Greek church, had arrived and had the joy then of actually participating. One of the last things that he did in the formal reunification. Now, it's one of those great tragedies that the unification did not last. Uh, there was too much opposition among the Byzantines, especially the, the, the Byzantine political classes. There was a lot of opposition culturally from within the, the Byzantine ecclesiastical community. And then there was the failure of the West uh, to deliver its promises of massive military support against uh, the, the onslaught of the Turks. Nevertheless, uh, Bonaventure played a role in that fleeting moment in, in which reunification was achieved. Barely a week later, on July 15, 1274, he died. Now, it has never been established precisely uh, what brought about his death. In fact, there was a, a, a wild rumor that he'd been poisoned. But in all likelihood, it was a, a simple reality that the people in their 50s, which he was, uh, could die suddenly. Uh, he probably worked himself uh, to death. Uh, he was a papal advisor. He was a, a, college, a member of the College of Cardinals. He was a prolific theologian, and of course, he was also uh, Master General of the Franciscans. That's a lot of burden for one man to carry. And sure enough, I, th I think uh, it was the work uh, that brought about his, his demise. When we speak about his theological contributions to the church, again, his peer, Thomas Aquinas, uh, gets much of the headlines still to this day. And yet, Bonaventure, his, the depth of what he had to give would affect not only the Franciscans, but also another order, and I'm thinking of the Carmelites for uh, St. John of the Cross, would make it mandatory readings for the Carmelites. There was something very profound and very deep that Bonaventure has offered us, isn't it? Uh, it is. Uh, we, we talked in our last episode about uh, Bonaventure's stress on mystical contemplation of uh, communion. And we, we made note of the fact that uh, he was criticized by some uh, for what they saw as uh, a lack of, of sort of public mortifications and other things that we tend to think of uh, on the road to contemplation and contemplatio. And yet, Bonaventure left behind uh, some truly brilliant writings. Uh, we can touch again briefly on, on two of them. The, the one is on the wings of the seraph, uh, in which he discusses the, uh, the six different paths that uh, we can achieve uh, contemplation. And for Bonaventure, it's that important observation of the world and the exploration of the soul itself as it pursues this communion, this contemplation of Christ. And 
in this, he, of course, is following Hewing very closely uh, to the spirituality of Francis of Assisi. And it's, I, I want to quote one of the things that, that Bonaventure wrote in one of his other works, and that's the Itinerarium uh, Mentis in Deum, the, the, the Journey of the Mind to God, which is the second book. He says that if you wish to know how these things come about, by which he meant mystical union with God, Question grace, not instruction. Desire, not intellect. The cry of prayer, not the pursuit of study. The spouse, not the teacher. God, not man. Darkness, not clarity. Not light, but the fire that inflames all and transports to God with fullest unction and burning affection. But then he, he zeroes in on something very important. He says, let us pass over with the crucified Christ from this world to the Father so that when the Father is shown to us, we may say with Philip, it is enough for me. So as John of the Cross understood, Bonaventure was always focused on Christ, on understanding the cross, in living the cross, and then rooted in the heart of that contemplation was love. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. That is really key, isn't it? I mean, that that Christocentric uh, experience, because by its very nature, St. John tells us that God is love. Yes, that, that that's exactly it. And he's always faithful uh, to Francis. What did Francis teach the Franciscans? What does Francis teach all of us? That we must be focused on Christ, to be in ourselves an alter Christus, to pursue Christ, but to pursue Christ in love especially in our desire to imitate Christ, to be Christ-like, to conform ourselves to Christ, to conform ourselves to the cross of Christ. And that is, I think, one of the most powerful foundations for any spirituality, any, any authentic one. And that's also, I think, one of the reasons why uh, John of the Cross was drawn to uh, the, the writings of Bonaventure. It's the, as we touched briefly in, in that first episode, uh, to work at this, that you actually have to participate in this, that they must be an object of desire, an application of the will that entails the wholeness of the person that it means the perfection of the virtues in your life, the, the, the cardinal and theological virtues. It means being holy. It means leading a moral life. It means actually living uh, the faith as bedrocks for contemplation, for contemplatio. And at the same time, we also have to accept that we need guidance in this. Uh, that we need to follow a, a practical path that discipline is essential. And, and that's, when we talked about Bonaventure's mortifications. He was able to live those mortifications in his will in how he gave himself completely and absolutely to the life of holiness, to a life of prayer, without distractions. So the mortifications for him were indeed very profound mortifications and, and probably the very people who sometimes complained about the fact that he was not so public in his demonstrations of them themselves never really attained any of the same levels of intimacy with God that Bonaventure did. Do you think, Matthew, that some of the criticism that is levied towards the Franciscan spirituality in the sense that it's all about creation, and it's all about uh, seeing God and those those things of the world that He has manifested for us in that creation. That Bonaventure was able to articulate it in a way that had not been done before. Yes, uh, I, I I would agree with that, I, and and. He stands always in his lifetime uh, in contrast, but also in comparison uh, to Thomas Aquinas. And Pope Benedict XVI, uh, as 
you and I have talked, who uh, devoted so much of his thought, his life, to the study of Bonaventure, uh, understood and, and, and continues to understand uh, the intense relationship between the two of them theologically, that they seem to be uh, worlds apart in some of their approaches, and yet both of them uh, had, in the end, the same objective, and, and that is uh, God. For Bonaventure, uh, he looked at uh, the, the created universe, the world, and he, he saw uh, the, the beauty of that creation. And, and much as, as Francis did, he wanted to contemplate it. Now, one of the things that, that we see in Bonaventure's theology is that, that there is a practical aspect to uh, theology. So he notes, for example, uh, the, the theoretical, the, the practical, uh, but then he also notes what he referred to as the sapiential, or the, the role of wisdom in finding uh, that balance, that harmony between the, the, the practical and the theoretical. In other words, between practice and knowledge. And what was the purpose of that? That we seek to be good. When he, he wrote, for example, that, that faith is in the intellect in the way that it provokes affection. The knowledge that Christ died for us does not remain knowledge, but must go beyond that to affection, to love. And so for Bonaventure, he sees uh, a theology as an excessive risk of reason emptying faith, which is what Francis was concerned about. Uh, but at the same time, we need to have uh, that aspect of learning, that we study the Word of God, that we, we contemplate Scripture, that we look at all of theology as worthwhile, but at the same time, again, finding that balance for the practice of it tied together uh, with wisdom. At the heart of all this, Matthew, do we find in Bonaventure that he, uh, yes, he is so Christ-centered, so that ultimately it would be Christ's great communication to the Father, and hence his expression of the Father's will. It, it becomes very much a, a contemplation in the life of the heart of the Trinity itself. It, it does. The, the best way to describe it is the, the, the ultimate destiny of someone, that uh, if our destiny is to love God, uh, to have that encounter with him, to be united with him, then love uh, must be our path to what is always talked about in, in, the, in the pursuit of this. It is a pursuit of good or the, as a definition of our happiness. So the I, I, best way to describe this and is one of the things that uh, uh, Pope Benedict XVI talked about with, with Bonaventure that we can't think of Thomas who pursued truth, what is true, and Bonaventure who pursued what is good to be somehow opponents, enemies of each other intellectually. 
Rather, uh, the true is the good, and the good is also the true. To see God, Benedict taught us, is to love, and to love is to see. So Bonaventure and Thomas were not that radically apart. It was how they came at uh, the same question. But we can also go back to that, that great inspiration of Francis of Assisi in the theology of Bonaventure. Uh, and go back to his childhood. By every account, reliably so, he met Francis of Assisi when he was a young child. He was supposedly healed of a, a life-threatening illness by Francis of Assisi. And it was that connection uh, between Bonaventure and Francis that continued throughout his entire life, so much so that Bonaventure seemed eminently qualified, almost uniquely qualified, to sit down at a time when the Franciscan order was trying to remember Francis as he really was and write what became the definitive biography of Francis of Assisi. So that far from being somebody who rejected Francis's disquiet, his unease with theology, Bonaventure demonstrated that the two do live in perfect harmony, that the practical aspect, the love, but that the love also informs theology. And Bonaventure understood in Francis what it means to make love as a, given a place of primacy in your life. Uh, he was, as, as Pope Benedict said, a, a living icon of Christ in love with Christ and was able then not simply to use words, but also his own life in convincing people of why we should love. But if, if we love, we have to love with all our hearts. But if we're going to love with all our hearts, that means we have to love God first. And we see as well uh, the idea of encounter. You know, Pope Francis speaks frequently of encounter. And having that encounter with Christ rest at the heart, I think, of one of the, the, the practical aspects of, of Bonaventure's theology, that if we live that, we have that encounter, that encounter of love that allows in everything else to flow. Any final thoughts on the teachings and life of St. Bonaventure? Yeah, I, I think... Bonaventure, as you asked at the end of our first episode on, on his life, why is he a doctor of the church? I think we can return to that question, but come at it from a slightly different angle. And that is, what is it about Bonaventure that uh, makes him so remarkable as a doctor of the church, but also as a Franciscan? And, and that is that he was able to embody to a stunning degree the life of the mendicant. And that is to 
live a life of prayer, of contemplation, of theological reflection, but at the same time to have a life of action in the world, to go out and to engage culture. I think that's one of the, the lessons that he gives us today, uh, that here was uh, someone who not only gave himself to the academic study of theology, who not only gave himself to the contemplation of God, but who took that out and studied it and then lived it in the world and showed all of us how we could do that. It was not without very good reason that Pope Sixtus V declared him a doctor of the church uh, in 1588 uh, at a time when the church was working to implement uh, the, the Council of Trent to restate uh, her beautiful teachings uh, in what was still and would continue to be a, a war-ravaged and divided Europe, and soon a, a world plagued with division, religious strife, that Bonaventure shows us the way that love has to be at our core. And again, there's the practical aspect, there's the theoretical, there's knowledge, contemplation united in wisdom. And that's something that we have to, to cling to as we progress in our own spiritual lives. Well, when you say love is at the core, ultimately that God is in the core, isn't he? He is. He is. Christ is there. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Oh, great to be with you, Chris. Looking forward to our next episode. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.